Welcome to Spirits and Chat with John and Matt. I am Matt Pullman. And I'm Jonathan Emerson. And this is a podcast where we watch an episode of a TV show where the characters are in a play, and then we talk about what they got right and what they got wrong about life in life the... in the theater. In the theater, <laughs> in case you didn't hear that. Uh, today we watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Season 1, Episode 9. It's called The Puppet Show. And this is the episode where Buffy and her friends are on a talent show and a dummy named Sid may or may not be murdering students in the talent show to harvest their organs. <laughs> I know, light, a light comedy for yeah. a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> uh, before we talk about Buffy, John, what are we drinking today? So today we are drinking the delicious Belgian white ale, Blue Moon. Uh, very, very well-known, popular drink with many. Um... Be like uh, Blue Moon, be like Buffy, little free association on my part. And okay, I, th- there's other reasons why I picked this beer for Buffy, other than they both start with B. There is a very unpopular episode of Buffy called I was just going to talk about okay, this. Yeah, we'll go for it. I was going to say, you can't talk about beer and Buffy in the same sentence without uh, free associating your way to what is the name of the episode? Beer Bad. Beer Bad. This is an episode of Buffy, I want to say in season one, uh, no, season four, uh, that where. Um, Basically, a bunch of folks uh, get drunk on a mystically tainted beer that transforms them into Neanderthals. Basically, yeah. It is not a popular episode of Buffy. It's actually one of the least liked episodes ever <laughs> of Buffy, but it's really the only episode where we see alcohol on Buffy. So right. we could only really talk about a beer with uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, in my opinion. And so I don't... let's hear it for Blue Moon, which will not turn you into a Neanderthal. No, and Blue Moon <laughs> is actually my favorite type of beer. Yes. It is. I don't drink a lot of beer, but if I want to order a beer, it's always Blue Moon. Uh, in fact, I know Blue Moon so well. If someone tries to pour me something and says it's Blue Moon and it's not, I will know. And that did happen about a month ago. It was fine. It's not something worth getting upset about. I did not talk to the manager I, I made you go back to the bar. No, he had and, me and talk confirm- to the manager. No, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> you politely confirmed that it's Blue Moon, and she said, we just swapped out the Paps, whatever. It's Blue Moon. It was, it was clearly not. Paps, you it guys. Was it was clearly Paps and or warm carbonated urine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That's okay, what- that's not to say that the good folks at Paps don't make a good product that isn't um, urine beer, but <laughs> I, I, I highly doubt they're based on our numbers <laughs> for this podcast. I highly doubt they're listening. If they are, it, it, it's a good. Paps is fine. Blue Moon is better. Oh right, I do well. like Blue Moon. Great. I do like the the nice uh, hint of orange hops in Blue Moon, uh, but. While I sip on that, let's talk about Buffy. Yes. Now, we talked about Buffy way back pre-COVID times in season one of the show. So if you want to hear us get more into depth about our background with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you can listen to that episode. Um, Just briefly, John, what was your history with Buffy? Yeah, by way of quick background. uh, So I was there at the start. uh, I I believe I started watching it uh, when it was on its first network. I want to say the WB. WB. And then, uh, long story short, either we lost cable... Uh, highly possible, or um, it, someone didn't pay a bill. What? <laughs> it, I, I was like, I was like ten. I wasn't so. saying you. You're older than me. You were not ten. <laughs> so, anywho, uh, when I was ten, and uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, so I watched it at first. I watched uh, first it in season. utero. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was a fetus. Um, so I watched it through my mom's eyes. So anyway, um, I was That's there. That's where her eyes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> so anyway, I started watching it. Um, we either lost cable and or when it did its network change, we no longer had access. And then I believe you really reintroduced it to me when you were in college. Uh, we, we watched it in your dorm room, I believe, mm-hmm. between yeah. makeouts. And, yeah, I yeah. was there since day one of Buffy uh, when the show first premiered. And I will say that no show has met more to me in high school, at least, than Buffy the Vampire sure. Slayer. It was a huge part of my adolescence. Definitely my favorite show. I definitely related to... I just... We, I talked about before, the whole theme is, is, you know, in Buffy is that high school is hell. You know, whether or not you go to a Sunnydale High, every student feels that their high school experience sometimes is hell. But the great thing about this show 
these characters literally go to school on top of that portal to hell. And then on top of having to deal with the normal pangs of adolescence, they are also trying to battle demons. So the whole show is really a metaphor about growing up, um, becoming who you're supposed to be while battling literal and metaphorical demons. Right. So I, and I, I have a strong memory in high school that I think before senior year, I went to my mall's local Walden Books or whatever that chain was in the 90s that <laughs> doesn't really exist anymore, and having this Buffy the Vampire Slayer day planner oh, yeah. where I recorded all of my homework assignments. I mean, it had all the cast pictures, but it was printed on this like very glossy paper. So when you had to write down things in ink, like, it would all smudge. Uh-huh. So I remember like writing down my homework assignments and then opening them up and having it just be like smeared ink. And oh my God. It wasn't a great product, <laughs> but it had uh, all the pictures. So I kept it all year and I just really dealt with it. And I still got straight A's. I don't know why there I'm telling the story, but like that's how much Buffy meant to me is that I carried around this really terrible eight ninety nine planner and, and risk my educational future just so I could I could record just my just for Buffy the Vampire just for Slayer. Buffy. That's how much I enjoyed <laughs> the show. Uh so we'll another it. episode, yeah. Oh, so yeah. let's get into the episode. This is season one, episode nine, The Puppet Show. This uh debuted on Cinco de Mayo in nineteen ninety seven, <laughs> May fifth, nineteen ninety seven. It is directed by Ellen Pressman and written by Rob DeHotel and Dean Batali. And I definitely remember watching this one live. I remember okay. when I remember when this episode aired. I remember watching it. And I remember really liking this episode. This episode of Buffy, for the purpose of this podcast, this is the only episode of Buffy we can talk about if we are going to follow our own rules okay. that we have made for ourselves. <laughs> so I think that the pink elephant in the room is that when I talk to people about this podcast and when we were going to talk about Buffy, I've gotten a few responses of people saying, well, you're going to talk about the musical. What's more, more a feeling. feeling? Right. So we can't talk about that episode if we're going to follow the rules that we have set for ourselves because Once More With Feeling is a musical, but they are not in a play. Right. So they we are, are being talking demonically influenced to sing. Exactly. So we're talking about shows where we actually see the characters in a play, and I believe that this is the only episode where we see Buffy or any of her friends on stage performing. However, down the road, I would love to talk about Once More With Feeling just as a one-off, yeah. um, because that episode is amazing. So maybe, maybe for Halloween, special content. Yeah, just, yeah, just for a special one-off. Um, but this is the only episode that I believe where we see the uh, the characters on stage performing, which is why we're going to be talking about the puppet show. Um, so let before we break down the scenes, this episode is all about puppets in the theater. Right. So John, have you ever been in a play and had to work with puppets? Oh yeah. So um, for all three of the years that I was uh, touring uh, across across the states with uh, children's theater uh, programming, um, each of those uh, one hour pieces that we would put together, um, you know, had had puppetry involved. It was a it was really. Uh, super interesting for the kids and they got to sort of explore the process of, of making puppets and, and how they were built uh, by um, uh, Rob Jokey who uh, handled a lot of the sculpting uh, for the company uh, at the time and just did an amazing job. Um, so I, I got really into uh, using puppets uh, in theater and whenever I have the opportunity to bring that world into production design now, I, I always take up the chance. Uh, most recently, uh, a couple years back, we created, uh, myself and our designer, uh, Joe, created the, these incredible uh Living trees, if you living tree puppets, if you will, uh, for Midsummer Night's Dream, where we were able as actors to get into them and manipulate them and move them around the stage. It was very cool. Yeah, I can't remember if I've ever done a show where I had to manipulate a puppet. Um, at one point, our theater company was attempting to get the rights to His Dark Materials, the play. Yep. Still, uh, still waiting on that. <laughs> uh, we're going to be waiting a long time, but if that was going to happen, I would have been Pantaliman, which would have been. Uh, uh- Fully a yeah. puppet part, which would have been fun. I can't remember if I've ever worked with puppets. I, I am a big fan of Avenue Q and puppetry. There, there is something weird and creepy about. I've always found about puppets. I remember when I was in eighth grade in health class, 
we had to research phobias and give a report on phobias. And I remember looking through the, the book uh, of fears that uh, I was supposed to research. And one of them was puppophobia. That is a real clinical diagnosis. Okay. And so we had to give a report on a fear that we actually have, which looking back seems very vulnerable <laughs> to make 13-year-olds do. So I lied. I, I, I'm not afraid of puppets, but I lied. And I wasn't going to give... Our... An actual fear? That's very yeah. triggering. Was... Yeah, exactly. Now, so, not, so, not, and I thought yeah. it would be fun. And I also thought it was kind of... I thought the whole thing was stupid. So I didn't really take it seriously. <laughs> I got an A, but I remember giving a presentation about puppophobia but there is something certain types of puppets even certain stuffed animals like when the lights are off you see the shadows there there is a creepiness to them which i think works well for this episode agreed and i i think that um ventriloquist dolls or really any doll um any doll where almost looks alive anyway like you could imagine its head turning and starting to talk to you um that sort of semi real realness for me puts the creep factor on certain dolls like that just under just underneath the level of clown oh yeah clowns are way worse than right puppets. right um before we start talking about the episode i just want to briefly talk about sid the dummy this is the only episode of buffy where we see sid the dummy however his presence is so important to someone in the Buffy <laughs> universe that in one of the Buffy video games called Chaos Bleeds, you can play uh, multiple characters. It's not just Buffy. You can play Willow and Spike and Faith. For some reason, the creators of this game made Sid the Dummy a playable <laughs> character in this game, which is kind of fun because when you're Sid, you play along Buffy and Buffy can pick him up, and he can go... It, our dog is literally trying to play fetch right now. Like, he's tossing a ball, and I'm just going to ignore him. Our little Sid, the dummy, is being kind of dummy. But but in that game, uh, it works as a game. Like, having, uh, you know, the, a small character kind of go in places and manipulate things and solve right. puzzles. But it's so... Which may have been a framing device for the, the story. Is like, how do we have that, that nimble, small character that can get in all the tight corners? Yeah, I mean, it works as a game designer. It's just hilarious to me that whoever is designing this game, of all of the characters you could play, you can play as Xander and also Sid the Dummy. You can't be Angel. You cannot be Oz. I was thinking, how cool would it have been to be Oz and then halfway through the level, transform into a werewolf. Well, that would be amazing. Yeah, like there's all these, you have this treasure trove of characters. Uh, no Riley. Uh, uh, there's Faith, but uh, no Kendra. No. Oh my God, our dog <laughs> is driving me nuts. Just ignore him. He uh, keeps... Yes, okay. He keeps throwing the ball down for me to pick up. Anyway, the fans were clamoring <laughs> for playable Xander <laughs> and for playable Sid. So if you want more Sid... In your gaming life, and who doesn't play play it's, that Buffy game? It's, it's an enjoyable it's, it's game. It's a great game. It took us months for you to complete it while while we watched. But of and... all of the <laughs> two hundred plus episodes of Buffy, it's just funny that the game creators circled in on this episode was so memorable memorable to someone that they decided that they needed to bring Sid the Dummy. Well, he back. really was a character, um, you know. So the the voice they gave him, you know, with the, it's it's kind of strange uh, because. Uh, you, you learn in the episode how this character came to be a dummy, but it's clearly like an, a demon hunting investigator from 1920s, 1930s, and he's got that, yeah, she, sort of uh, intonation to his voice, so. I just burped because well, of the carbonation of Blue Moon. Uh, let's get into the episode. Yes. So this episode starts with, uh, I just wrote down stretching. That's all we see. We see it's black and white. There is a female. We're not sure if she's high school age or not, but she's stretching. And then we're backstage, and this is uh, an audition for the school talent show. And we see the kids all getting ready to perform. And then we have Cordelia singing The Greatest Love of All. <laughs> yeah, which, sure. She's why not? terrible. Um, so I just wrote down here Cordelia is terrible. Uh, talent shows in high school are terrible. Yeah, did you ever have to do a talent show in high school? I in Not in high school. We didn't have one then. I think we did one in elementary school. I think we might have had something like that where groups of different people sang and whatnot, but nothing this traditional. Yeah, uh, so in high school, I don't think we had talent shows. I remember in middle school, 
our middle school had a talent show at least one year. I didn't perform. The only act I remember two acts, and they're both they both sucked. I'm gonna go on air and um, talk shit about twelve year olds. No, no, no. The one was good, but the one a girl basically, and I'm not making this up. This is all true because <laughs> it's so stupid. So a girl lip sync to Alanis Morissette's ironic. Or just kind of mumbled along. And the only reason I remember her doing that is because when we she got to the part where Elena's more said seems he waited his whole damn life uh, to take that flight. And as a plane went down, he thought, well, isn't that nice? When he got to that part, the girls changed damn to darn. <laughs> because that Alanis Morissette was huge in our school in 1996. And as soon as she started, like, bumbling along, we knew there was going to be a swear word. And everyone was just like, is she going to say damn? But she very clearly, like, spoke up and said darn. Okay. Good for her. Uh, hey, you know what? Singing, singing, even, I would have loved it if she would have been in, like, drag as well. You know, like, and, and, you know, go go traditional for going to lip sync. Like, make a whole pose thing out of it. I mean, if she would have just, like, done Alanis Morissette cosplay, that Yeah, that would have worked. But anyway, that was fine. What, what I really take umbrage with is we had some other kid in my class who was kind of an asshole and never very nice to me, so I don't feel bad talking shit about him publicly. He got to the mic, and he said, I wrote a comedic song. I'm going to sing it. He sang the Adam Sandler Lunch Lady song and plagiarized it and oh, said that he wrote it. You're kidding. I am not kidding. This was on SNL. And you would have seen I, it. You would have seen it on SNL. I totally. You were a huge fan. But everyone was like, oh my God, that was so funny. I can't believe he wrote that. I was like, he did not write this. <laughs> I mean, I know the internet is not really a thing, but anyway. Uh, so um, yeah, fuck him. Anyway, we just talk about <laughs> jumping back to the episode. You sure. mentioned that you mentioned that initial establishing <laughs> shot. When it comes to Buffy, one of the most common tropes uh, for me, but it's so uh, well done here, is that initial shot is sometimes used to basically, in a nutshell, tell you what the entire story is going to be about. In this case, the theater, a talent show, dancing. Oh, and the first person they showcase dies. The first person in the shot. Um, you know, that the, the, the first person they establish in the shot, if it's not one of the uh, Scoobies, often ends up being, you know, one of the first people killed. Right. Um, and then, well, I also love that Cordelia gets cut off before <laughs> she got to the part with the sparklers, oh. <laughs> which I would have loved to see her uh, have live fire on stage. Then basically, the Scooby gang enters and asks Giles, why is he sitting there uh, in this weird talent show audition? Show. However, did you finagle such a primo assignment? Our new Führer, Mr. Snyder. I think they call him principals now. Mm-hmm. He thought it would behove me to have more contact with the students. I did try to explain that my vocational choice of librarian was a deliberate attempt to minimize said contact, but uh, he would have none of it. Giles, into every generation is born one who must run the annual talentless show. <laughs> Yeah, so this is the first episode with Principal Snyder because Principal Flutie was eaten by a pack (laughs) of hyenas in the previous episode. And I love how everyone is... This will come up multiple times in this episode where there's, like, horrific homicide and all the characters are just kind of like, eh, this happens. This is is Sunnydale, yeah. Um, Giles, to me, in this moment, uh, watching just the pain on stage, like, that, that is every teacher who's coerced into running one of these uh, talent shows that I've ever seen, especially if it's a non, if it's like not the drama teacher, right? If it's not the, the uh, educator focused on theater. Yeah, yeah, poor Giles would rather be anywhere but here doing this thing. And, and I kind of feel him. Anyway, everyone, basically they're implying that all these Sunnydale students basically suck and that Principal Snyder is kind of being a jerk for making them all endure this. And then we get the next auditionee, which is Morgan and Sid the Dummy. Dummy gave me the wig. There really wasn't a story there. Hi, I'm Morgan. And I'm Sid. Hey, Morgan, would you like to tell some jokes? Would I? As a matter of fact, it is. It's also a wood nose and a wood mouth. 
sleep at all last night. All right. Time out. Let's stop this before someone gets hurt. Kid, you are the worst. Even I can see your lips move. Come on, Sid. You're spoiling my act. I worked on these jokes for weeks. You're all those jokes? My jockey shorts are made out of better material. Yeah, so I, I did make a note that Sid has a very, I guess, cat skill comedian voice. <laughs> I looked up the actor who yeah. does because I thought it might be someone famous. I, uh, I I don't know some some old man from the sixties or seventies. Uh, it's a voice actor named Tom Weiner who has done every video game ever. Oh wow! So that's who it is. So it's no one. I thought it might be a celebrity guest voice, but it's just he it does sound voice actor. like people I've heard in video games. He's been in EverQuest, World of Warcraft, Castlevania, Enchanted Arms, EverQuest Two, Ghost in the Shell, Robotech. So he, he's probably if you've downloaded a game on. PS4 within the past five years, you've probably heard All this right. Game. Yeah, he does a good job. All right, so can we talk for a second? You know, we can't talk about the theatricality of things without observing um, things that sort of haunted our own uh, uh, high school theater past. Those, um, those wooden uh, theater seats are nightmare. Uh, they last forever, but uh, they are super uncomfortable. I, was, I made a note. We see the auditorium a lot. In this episode, I made a couple notes about it. It actually looks like a very realistic high school auditorium. Oh, yes. I have a feeling that the production actually went to a high school and just shot in an actual auditorium. Sure. Because it looks like a real auditorium. It does not look like a TV set. Oh, yeah. And I don't think we ever see this auditorium again. I might be completely wrong, but this auditorium is big and it's deep. A lot of times when you're watching a show and they're in a theater, the camera just pans in on like the first two or three rows because they're obviously in a studio. They are not in an actual theater or space, but this looks like they went to a high school and they just shot as much as they could because this is big, yeah. it's bright, and I don't think it ever comes back, but, but it looks... it. It looks like a very realistic uh, high school auditorium. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then we get to the next scene where we see this girl changing again. <laughs> uh, and then... Well, she just finished stretching, you know, so... Well, she, I guess she auditioned, and now she's changing. Now she's um, a dancer. She's stretching, she's changing. I'm just saying it, it's a little objectifying. It's fine. Um, she's attacked, and a voice says, I will be flesh. Oh, my. And then it's the intro. And I just wanted to say, I love the Buffy intro. It's just such a good song. Oh, uh, the opening credits, it's great. It's like pure happiness. It, it still is that. It, it's definitely a, uh, one of the few like television intros from things that I was a fan of that you just want to get up and like make your make up your own dance. And I know several of my friends who have done so. Yeah, it's one of those intros that I, I don't fast forward. Because even now when you're streaming, you do have the option to skip ahead. And I never skip ahead for the Buffy. Um, It's a great song. Then we come back. They are backstage again, and I guess, so Buffy, Xander, and Willow realize they have to be in the talent show because their principal's making them. <laughs> they decide they need to perform an act that's going to be the easiest thing that requires the least amount of talent, which is acting. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, the fact that they took on uh, Oedipus also. We'll, Why did we'll they get... pick Oedipus of out of all, all things? And then to make Buffy the mom, I Buffy think? Buffy is Jocasta. <laughs> Okay, we can get into that a little bit. Well, no, there is a the quote is dramatic scenes don't require talent. So, oh, oh that's shady. Rough. Damn. But I mean, they are all actors saying those lines, but it's also I feel like that's probably how teenagers who have never acted think that that acting is. It doesn't require any that talent. That everyone's just naturally good and they don't have to do any work. Yeah. Mm. Um and and Willow in that moment at the end is amazing, but we'll we'll get to there. Um so can we talk for a second that like this scene uh opens to these quintessential 90s clothes which just smack you in the face yes i made a note about buffy's outfit for the first okay. half of the show <laughs> so buffy for the first couple scenes is wearing uh cheetah print very low cut with a very high black boots 
and a black leather jacket, and she has this really high ponytail. Yes. That either it's like a cross between Ariana Grande and um Princess Cashmere from The Simpsons. <laughs> so I know you brought up Nomi Malone <laughs> last episode. <laughs> Buffy is I don't wanna the, the cheetah print is too much. I I can't well, it, it, does, it, like, doesn't, it doesn't work for daytime high school. It does not Here's, work for a sophomore. It works for Fran Drescher it works in the 90s. For, it's not, it it's works too much for, for me. I just got back from a long night of cocktails. You it, know like it, you know what it is? It's tacky as hell. I'm it, sorry. It's ta- it's, yeah, it's, it, it's a little... I believe Buffy has better fashion sense than this. Uh, yeah, yeah. But then I was taken... Okay, so I noted that. Big stars around that, sure. It was, it was a little bit of a weird choice. Um, but... Even the color clash on Willow, and she's like famous in this show back then for like um, the, the seeing the softer side of Sears. Well, this is as season Cordelia, one. As season Cordelia one would say. Willow is very frumpily dressed. Right. Like they're trying to make her. She's the nerd. She's a bookworm. She's a geek. So they, they kind of dress season one Willow like she's twelve. Right. I don't think until till season two or three where Willow gets to wear cool clothes. So she always has to be. Buffy looks hip for the 90s. Willow is dressed like a toddler. And then Xander gets to do, like, the kind of drunk college frat well, they've guy. Got her loose, in, fitting, baggy crap. They've got her in, like, rainbow rainbow horizontal stripe. Uh, yeah, rainbow horizontal stripes uh, sweater. And then a vertical, like, dot polka dot print pant. It, it's, I, I was like, and I'm not a fashion guy either. So it was like, what? Yeah, yeah, I'm actually pulled it up. She's wearing like pajama pants. It's yeah, the pants don't like, the pants are the print does not vibe with the shirt at all. I will say one thing that always irks me about Xander is that Xander always looks cool. Like his clothes look like they're straight say, out of uh, Hot Topic or what was that store in the nineties? I don't want to say Sun Coast. It was something oh, Sun Pacific uh, Sunwear. Pacific, yeah, I love all that his store. clothes. I don't think it exists anymore. No, it doesn't. But all his clothes look like he is straight out of a Pacific Sunwear catalog. But Xander's supposed to be poor white trash. It was like surf, so, surf boy clothes, basically. Yeah, but he, but Xander's thing they established later is that his family is poor. His family's poor. Poor like Kenny. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but he always has cool clothes. Anyway, then Snyder and Giles enter. And Snyder gives his opinion about... What his predecessor did wrong. Let me just pull up this clip. I had it pulled up and... Eh, close enough. Kids today need discipline. It's an unpopular word these days, discipline. I know Principal Flutie would have said, kids need understanding. Kids are human beings. It's the kind of woolly-headed liberal thinking that leads to being eaten. <laughs> yeah, so Principal Snyder just sucks and always sucks. He has no depth to his character. He's just awful, which is why no one is sad when he gets eaten a season later by the mayor by the when mayor. the mayor turns into a snake. Into the giant worm thing, yeah. Yeah, Snyder in this episode is just a creep. He is always sneaking up on Buffy, and it, it's not even that I'm a principal, you're a student. It's It's... There's something else going they on. They play him kind of like the Rat King, like the way his character is allowed to develop. You it, in this episode, it happened twice. I wasn't sure if he was the killer or the you know part maybe, demonic or something. Maybe, like maybe that that's that's a good point because this is the first appearance of Snyder. It might have been one of the several red herrings in this episode that maybe Snyder is a suspect. So so that's good. I've seen this episode so many times that I never suspected Snyder. But maybe if I had never watched this. I might think that he might be part of that. Um, we go on to the next scene where uh, R.I.P. Emily's dead. Her heart has been carved out, not by anything de- demonic or by a claw, but by a knife. The note that I made is that, okay, I know it's Buffy, but if I were in high school and we found out that a fellow student's heart had been literally carved out of her body... That would have been my day. Like, I would have needed to go home Peace and talk out. to yeah. a lot of people. But everyone in the background is so, again, so casual with like, murder. Like, you could hear the, like, it was between bells. And they were like, oh, okay, time to get to class now. Yeah, yeah. No, you see, some students are like, oh, what's going on? Like, why are they have this why room. is there paramedics? And they're like, they oh, have I'm going to ca- be like. They have the caution tape up. I better go to homeroom. <laughs> it's, it's very casual. Again, 
this is also pre nine eleven. It's pre nine eleven. Pre Columbine. Pre Columbine. Yeah. So the the school violence thing, maybe they didn't feel like they had to deal with it. It's just so funny that even Buffy and Willow and Xander are just kind of like, oh, is it a demon or a person? Like they're not like we need to go home. And figure this out. It's just like, eh, we'll get to it when we get to it. And speak to a talking doctor. (laughs) Yes. Uh, So, like, the the dummy comes in, like, right after this. I think in this scene we have another Morgan and the dummy scene. Um, I might be jumping ahead. Uh, So I think the... Right previously to that, we had him working in the dummy scene, and this is where we established that the dummy is just always horny. Yeah, I was going to say, the dummy's super pervy. Yeah, he made the quote, once you go wood, nothing's as good. Oh Eh, my goodness. Well, Sure, it's kind of (laughs) funny. I mean, I've heard wittier things. Um, But this scene skips to Buffy, Willow, and Xander. Now they are interviewing their classmates, because they think that someone in the talent show may have had something to do with this. And the, the first cut we get to is Willow... Interviewing a girl with a trombone, talking about the dancer band rivalry. Oh is, is that a thing? Uh, yes, and I, oh man, I'm just uh, outing myself as a band geek, I guess. But actually, she was playing a concert tuba. Um, <laughs> what did I say? Did I say trombone? Trombone. Okay, that's yep, what I meant so, tuba. I know the difference. Uh, okay, gotcha. Um, so, uh, but yes. There, so there's, there is a, not a rivalry, but there's like, band and choir weirdness in a lot of schools and there's band mm. and dance team weirdness my school didn't have a dance team so this all this dance stuff is like dance was something you did on your own time <laughs> you did not bring that sultry burlesque whatever heathenist thing into the hollowed grounds of campfield High okay School. so but there was the, there was band choir weirdness like there was a couple kids who did both mm-hmm. who I don't know how they did it because those were both big commitments. Yeah, I I was one of those who who did both, and it was a lot of time. And basically, you're um, depending on what your other extracurriculars. I was in like I was in sports too. Um, so yeah, your entire entire life in high school ends up being like mostly music focused. <laughs> True. Uh, and we see a scene with Morgan the dummy. Um, I start to f- I, I feel bad for Morgan in this entire episode, maybe because I've seen it a couple times. Um, but we see Morgan is getting headaches. Morgan's not well. He he kind of looks like he's scared of Sid. Right. Uh, then we get to the next scene in the library. They think that Morgan is the prime suspect. He has something to do with it. Giles wants to keep doing the talent show, though. And he quotes the immortal words every director says. The show must go on. Even if your fellow dancer student gets murdered and has her heart <laughs> carved out, the suspect is still at large. That is not more important than a talent show, people. For your one night, for your one night uh, uh, show run of the talent show, yes, uh, they couldn't pull. They couldn't postpone, not even for a single day. Um, okay, so in this scene, we also saw a moment between two of the other. So the people that Giles was investigating with. Uh, the magician and mm. the juggler. I want to say maybe Xander Z- was talking to the juggler. I can't quite recall. Xander was talking to Cordelia. Ah, okay. So, so it was probably Giles. Giles was doing both. Giles was doing them both. <laughs> no, uh, um, these are children. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, um, so the magician. There's this huge. I never noticed it before, but there's this huge tell that would. That should have brought huge alarm bells uh, up for Giles. So I think his name he, is Mark, right? Mark. We don't find out his. Yeah, we we can spoil it. So Mark, if you if you watch this episode, you know. So Mark ends up being the the well, demon. the demon that they're hunting. Mm-hmm. But the but in this interview moment, uh, he's showing Giles a trick, and Giles says this card. He's no no take this one instead. It's just bad magic. Why would you uh, Why would you uh, put yourself under a guillotine for a bad for a magician who can't get his card tricks right it's kind of like come on giles yeah i have more to say about <laughs> what happens in the last scene okay even <laughs> in the buffy verse some things uh don't make sense but what i did i rewatched this episode twice okay and before i rewatched it the first time i hadn't i hadn't seen this in a good number of years and i had completely forgotten how this ended i knew that morgan wasn't the killer i knew that the principal wasn't killer but it was actually surprising to me that the whole stuff with mark kind of comes out of left field at least for me i don't know i'm sure a smarter person watching the show 
um, figured it out. Uh, it could have been, for me, it could have been the juggler, man. He looked like Carrot Top, and you know those prop comics, Oh, man. <laughs> so is the juggler it's the one with the long hair, yeah, right? Okay, yeah. so I was kind of focused on people's hair in this episode, too, because <laughs> we had Mark wore his hair like I did in high school, like the blonde, but also like when you just put, it's almost like paste in your hair, and your fingers just like texturize the, sh- the yeah it's, out of it. it's like so you know the lady on John and Kate plus eight you know how she wears her hair in the back so like <laughs> gay boys in high school wore their hair <laughs> that way in the front okay. you know where like the party was in the front and normal in the back okay do, do, do you know who Kate Gosselin is right no yes you've seen her so Kate I... Gosselin is the you know the talk to the manager haircut yes oh the Karen yeah the, Okay, you know how in the back that's spicy? It's like spiky. I almost said in the back I, it's spicy. I had, my, I had my hair spiked in the front in the exactly. 90s. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and the 2000s and I'm gonna 2010. I'm this for you last right year. now because this is very important Super to me. relevant to this moment. But on all these pictures she has normal hair. Damn it! Oh, okay, here's... <laughs> see, okay. So see how her, the back of her hair is like a 90s like gay teenager? Oh, yeah. So imagine like that reversed. she was the exorcist and her head spun around. You should have just this said is... Anne wore a shell hair. The what? chef the chef from Worst, Worst Cooks in America, how she has that explosion oh, of hair in the back yeah. and then the party in the yeah. front. Okay, But sure. anyway, bo- anyway well, boys talk- in high school either had the explosion of hair like that in the front or the Leonardo DiCaprio uh, wave to the left. So I think the juggler you're talking about is the gate. He had long curly hair, and I actually was watching that. I'm thinking, does this boy naturally have crimped hair, or did the actor, like, crimp his hair? Or <laughs> Because it was... There, there was a lot... And if it's all natural, like, shame on me. Right. But he had very long, great... Better hair than I had in high school. Anyway, that's enough about uh, spirits and hair. With oh my Jonathan. god, I don't know if this is jumping into the new scene, so oh, feel free to it. stop it's me. Fine. We but have to move quickly through this. Yeah, I'm trying because it's it's an hour long uh, show. So, um, favorite line of Giles in the in the whole show: uh, "My investigation has been hampered by a life in the theater." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't write that down. That's funny. Um, so we get to Buffy. She tries to break into Morgan's locker. Principal Snyder is stalking her. He's being weird. Then we get to a Sid and Morgan scene. Sid says something like, she's the one. One more and I'll be free. So we think that maybe Sid might be killing people. Maybe right. he's selling organs. It, uh, it read like a Chucky moment to me. Like he has to get a certain amount of body parts or whatever to yeah, like transfer yeah, you, to a new yeah, so human we, body. Exactly. So I think what we're supposed to think is that Sid is killing these kids, taking their organs so Sid can be a human or a demon so he can have a new body. So we jump to... Buffy in the bedroom, in her bedroom. This is the only scene with her mom. Joyce in early Buffy is so weird. Joyce is either the most supportive, loving mom, or she's a monster. Like, there's no (laughs) go-between in Joyce. Joyce is either like, Buffy, you're a horrible child, you're grounded, you're such a burden to me, or Joyce is just like, oh, do whatever you want, Buffy. She's very inconsistently written, in this scene, Joyce is being very supportive, saying, Right. I'm going to come to your talent show. I want to support you. Buffy's like, no. I just wrote down, Joyce is stupid. Joyce just can't read the room. Joyce is not understanding that Buffy has something else on her mind. Right. Joyce just cannot connect with her daughter. I So I have to jump back for a second because... How dare you? I, right. right <laughs> okay. <ahead>. So <laughs> when you mentioned Snyder was kind of harassing Buffy and... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of following her around. Like, so he, he caught her trying to break into Morgan's locker. So he found her after school off hours and was kind of reprimanding her and she had to leave. Um, but two seconds later, you see uh, Morgan with Sid, guess where, in the theater. And to me, uh, this just goes to show that if you are in a high school and if you're in your high school and you need to go where no one is going to, no one is going to look for you, uh, especially if you're friends with a drama teacher, Go to the theater. (laughs) Yeah, that's another thing. We'll talk more about this later, but for a very busy school, a lot of these hallways and spaces are conveniently empty at random points in a day. This talent show maybe has like 15 people in it, but no one is ever backstage when they should be or in the auditorium. It's fine. I, I just, whenever the auditorium needs to be empty, it's empty. Uh, 
so flashing <laughs> forward, uh, Joy says goodnight to Buffy. Then we see Sid is staring at her mm-hmm. in her bedroom, which is creepy. Yes, That's a genuinely weird moment. Uh, cut to commercial. It comes back. Uh, Sid kind of attacks her and they struggle. This scene was weird because Buffy basically screams for her mom and is very vulnerable in a way I've never seen Buffy. Like, Buffy, this is season one, episode nine, so Buffy hasn't had too many adventures, but she has killed so many vampires and has faced already witches and warlocks, hyenas. uh, The Master is still the big bad in this season, Even though we we don't talk about him in this episode, he's the big bad that she's eventually going to have to face. But for her to basically, like cling to her mom and say, Mom, I'm scared. There's something in the bed. It was so surprising to see Buffy that vulnerable and, like, asking her mom for help. It was just weird. Uh, uh, I thought you were going to play a clip for it. Oh, no, no, uh, no, sorry. no, sorry, no, no. For me, it was, uh, for me, it was definitely weird too. Uh, you don't really, like, you, you almost get more of a connection between Buffy and her mom. At, and spoiler alert for anyone that's um, maybe just watching Buffy for the first time. But you get more out of the Joyce and Buffy relationship post uh her losing her mother uh that like and and all the things it does to her and the like there's almost more to flashbacks in that relationship than there you know well i think the main thing is once buffy quote unquote comes out to her mom as a slayer then their relationship deepens and then joyce kind of becomes a person rather than just the character who has to tell her no Because that's kind of all Joyce has to do in season one and two, Mm -hmm. is that we either have to protect Joyce, save Joyce from a vampire, and also cover up the fact that it was a vampire, because Joyce can't know about vampires, or Joyce is the person who is locking her in a room, and then Buffy has to sneak out and kill something and come back and be grounded. So So you're, like, you're... um... It, seeing the character that most often saves Joyce, most often is the one checking for things that could be hiding under the bed, Buffy, for her to kind of scream from her mom, for her to kind of, kind of scream for her mom, is something you really don't see right. in we the series. Right, we know that Buffy mentions she is terrified of dummies. One gave her right. the willies, but I don't know. So let's let's flash ahead. Um, we're going to the auditorium. So we see Mark doing a trick, and I have him freezed. I'm getting so dear Evan Hansen vibes just from that shirt. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, and then we get a nice little scene with Giles and Cordelia. You were supposed to leave. <laughs> I don't understand why I why I have to follow Brett and his stupid band. Because we have to clear their equipment before the finale, I've told you. But the mood, it'll be all wrong. My song is about dignity and human feelings and personal hygiene or something. Anyway, it's sappy. And no one is going to be feeling sappy after all that rock and roll. (laughs) What? Oh, I'm sorry. Um, your hair. uh... There's something wrong with my hair? Oh, my God. (laughs) Sandra was right. It worked like a charm. So that's kind of all we get to see of Cordelia in this episode. You kind of expect that in most of these episodes, early on, Cordelia is the one in danger Mm -hmm. who gets kidnapped. But that's kind of it for her. Right. In this episode. Yeah. I mean, I I just took a moment to note, and you see a little bit of it... um, you only get to see a little bit of the theater's technical acumen. Uh, they they have terrible lighting on stage. It's very, very dark, but a good spotlight. But something that does throw me a little bit um, is if they're in dress rehearsal, and that's what this is, they definitely would have had those blackout curtains on the windows closed. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. Oh, yeah, well, it, it makes me think that this is an actual location shoot. Right. And so for lighting the scene they probably need the natural light because this just doesn't look like a set to me based on how big right. this is. And for a show like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, season one WB, I don't think they had a huge budget. But, but you're right, those curtains should be closed. Um, Buffy comes in. She says that Sid attacked her. She says this isn't a, like a bunny suit situation. I think this is a reference to the movie Harvey, where there's a guy who's mentally ill who is seeing a rabbit follow him around, which is the basis for Donnie Darko. Okay. Um, I've never made that connection till my time rewatching this an hour ago, which is probably my 10th time seeing it. 
Giles uh, mentions that he thinks this is the Brotherhood of the Seven. And these are a group of demons who have to keep harvesting organs so they can stay human. And he thinks Morgan is a demon. Right? Yes. I got the right. Uh, anything to say about that? Before uh, we well, on? I guess the only... Uh, so have we moved... Are we in on your notes? Are we at, at the library where Xander's um, kind of messing with the doll? Uh, not yet. Not, not yet. yet. Okay. So we get to the next scene where... The teacher's talking about the Monroe Doctrine, and I think I guess they're in history class, and Morgan is sitting with Sid in his lap, which is very strange. Right. That any teacher would allow a student just to hold a dummy. A a ventriloquist doll, yeah. It's weird. And the dummy actually turns around and looks at Buffy, and no one else in the class notices this, because they're (laughs) so enraptured. In this teacher's lecture about the Monroe Doctrine, she must be a good teacher. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, The doll starts talking. The teacher confiscates it. Uh, Morgan comes back. And the teacher is actually really nice to Morgan. She's like, what's going on? Do you need to talk about it? He asks for the dummy back. The dummy is gone. Now we get to the library, and that's when uh, we find out Xander has taken Sid. Yes, beware the haunted doll tropes. Um, You know, we would have talked a lot about this in our last season, which dealt a little bit more with the supernatural, but you could see all of this coming. Uh, The vanishing doll trope, uh, where he's messing with the doll, provoking the doll, uh, then he turns his back for one moment, turns back around, doll is gone. Right, well, I think when Xander is playing with the doll, I, I kept waiting for the doll just to turn around and murder him or to stab him, right. which I, I wouldn't have been super sad because Xander's just kind of being obnoxious. And I guess Xander's just kind of useless in this episode until the very end. But I think we, we kept waiting for the doll to actually do something, but it doesn't. And sometimes that's even more scary right. than when, like, when nothing happens. Oh, yeah. Like you just wait, you're thinking it's going to turn around and like stab him in the face, but nothing happens. Uh, then... Buffy goes back to the auditorium to investigate. My note is they use this set a lot. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. We've <laughs> talked about that. Here's where I got a little confused. So Buffy goes on the stage, which is like a typical kind of high school multi-purpose auditorium. But then she goes backstage to a dressing room and all of a sudden it's like, oh, my drama gay heaven. What? Like, well, because this is a full fully functional dressing room yes. with costumes, mirrors. There are boas mm-hmm. around her. I, I don't know. I felt like there was a disconnect between this plain drab auditorium oh, yeah. and then this very like uh, cabaret-style dressing room. Huh. Maybe maybe this is all the sets and costumes for the talent show. It just felt like the, the set and the auditorium was so drab mm-hmm. and the dressing room was so elaborate it looked like uh like the LaGuardia performing high they school were, you know assuming it was a shared space maybe a shared costume collection that's being partially stored in the dressing room i kind of bought that um, what, i'm overthinking really... it so here's some clips it just i don't know it, it looks a little too too fancy i don't know i'm, I'm pulling at strings i'm really just being picky uh we get back to the library and then willow mentions uh a little fun fact about puppets which was really creepy okay look what i found in the section on toys and magic on rare occasions inanimate objects of human quality such as dolls and mannequins already mystically possessed of consciousness have acted upon their desire to become human by harvesting organs so is that a thing in folklore or did they just make this up for this episode um, I mean, you can definitely find, um, the inanimate objects coming to life, uh, being a big thing in the paranormal, either possessed by ghosts or with ghost-like attachments, uh, possessed by, like, Annabelle, uh, you know, in theory, possessed by a demon. Uh, this idea, though, which is really more prominent in, in the Chucky franchise of a, of a, of using, uh, hoodoo or another type of mysticism to put your spirit in a doll uh, and then to use other ritual to put yourself into the body of, uh, of a human um, that th- I have no well, I guess idea what, I think is it's the que- for this question. episode I, I they're like so. where they're saying that dolls want to become human right and 
I've never really seen that. I don't watch a lot of those Chucky movies or Annabelle movies because they creep me out. But but Willow was saying like, oh, this is something that normal possessed dolls do, which there's no such thing as a normal possessed doll. But it was so matter of factly. I I think this is the only episode of a fictional show where the the thing is like the doll wants to be a person. Yeah, I, I uh, and Will ends up being wrong anyway. So yeah. I'm just talking on my butt right now. I, I don't think um, I don't think it's prominent like this idea of soul transference between inanimate object and living being, like t- taking over a living being, is is a thing. Um, it may be a part of hoodoo. Maybe that was what Chucky borrowed from. But uh, I'm my familiarity with that is that it's not accurate. That that it's just Chucky. <laughs> okay. Sure. Um, so, again, Snyder shows up and is stalking Buffy. He's just so weird in this episode. It's like, don't you have a school to run? Don't you have a school with an active murder investigation? He's right. following around. This I feel like this third scene between them was just too much. He's a creep. And he, he walks up. And they've already found Morgan's body, right? So Oh, that is coming up. Oh, okay. So what happens is Buffy, she gets rid of Snyder, and then she keeps walking, and I wrote... How big is this dressing room? Because there's just a very long tracking shot of her just putting. Maybe she was walking in a circle, but but again, what is going? What's happening under the stage? Uh, and then she finds Morgan, R.I.P. Morgan. He's just dead. Oh, and this is where it gets weirder. A chandelier falls on her, but she had walked downstairs. She had walked down steps. Now there's a chandelier <laughs> hanging from a downstairs dressing room. Yeah, that's it. Seems creepy. like a continuity error. Yeah. If this were if this were normal backstage, I would buy it. But she goes downstairs to the dressing room, and it, a chandelier falls on her. We see Sid running around, and this is not a computer effects. This is, however, probably just a little person running around. But it's super creepy to see a doll come to life. Yes, and I think. It's creepier the less CGI there is. One of the most terrifying things I've ever seen in cinema is in (laughs) the Muppets Take Manhattan. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) Miss Piggy. Yes, yes, there's a scene where Miss Piggy gets mugged in Central Park. So she chases her mugger and puts on roller skates, which she borrows from Gregory Hines. That's not the creepy part. The creepy part is most Muppets are shot from the waist up because they don't have legs. Uh, But... For five seconds, there is an actual human in a Miss Piggy costume <laughs> who is roller skating. It is terrifying. Yeah, Miss it's... Piggy is like five feet tall. It is. It's uh. It's like the Uncanny Valley. It's yeah. too much to see a Muppet from the waist up is normal, <laughs> but to see a Muppet with legs <laughs> moving around autonomously, I, to quote Valerie Cherish, I don't need to see that. Okay, <laughs> that's neither here nor there. Uh, Sid jumps on top of Buffy and oh and I just like this little speech between the two of them you win now you can take your heart and your brain and move on I'm sure they would have made great trophies for your case that would have been justice yeah except for one thing you lost and now you'll never be human yeah well neither will you what? what? <laughs> so each of them thought that they were the, the harvesters. Right. So Sid thinks that Buffy is the demon, and Buffy thinks that Sid is demon, and they're both wrong. They're actually they're both on the same side, which is the twist of this episode is that Sid is actually a demon hunter who was trapped by a demon in the body of a puppet, and he can only be released and move on if he kills the demon. Right. So one thing that was a little weird about this scene, it was like in the lead up to this scene, as you're entering these dressing room areas, there was a distinctive photo of or drawing or poster of a demon on the wall. It was like very, very prominent. Was that the one? It's like black and white. Yeah, it was like black and white. It had horns. And I was kind of like, is that for this is the theater? Is that for Faustus? But then I'm like, that's not high school really material. Like, what was that? for? I mean, they're doing a scene from Oedipus. Oh, yeah. I guess they're a little more progressive. Uh, So, yeah. So Sid tells the gang he's on their side when they realize that the. But here's another thing. Morgan has just been murdered. His head has been cut off. His brain has been removed. 
Giles says, oh no, we have to start the talent show. There is a dead teenager with his brain removed. No one seems perturbed, not even the 20 cast members and stagehands and any, like no one cares. No, like, they they sh- they really they really took show must go on seriously. Are they all just like stepping over this body and being like, eh, we'll deal with this later? Yeah, it's a little weird. And then can you, you probably have a clip with this, but can you imagine Giles leading a warm up? <laughs> well, that's what they they give. Uh, Sid gives Giles advice like, uh, go and have a power circle, and whoever is not at the power circle is probably. The demon, mm-hmm. which actually a power circle is a real thing. Yeah. It can take on a lot of forms, but it's just basically the cast getting together, standing in a circle, maybe doing a warm up, maybe mm-hmm. doing a group back rub, maybe doing a game. Uh, it's just a uh, pre show witch roll, which yeah. has happened. Oh, yeah. It's uh, warm ups or uh, group warm ups, especially um, in, in certain schools of, of theater, are. are very much encouraged. Um, but anyway, Giles goes backstage, and Cordelia, who loves being the center of attention, is now, for some reason, freaking out. I, I can't go out there. All those people staring at me and judging me like I'm some kind of Buffy. What if I mess up? Uh, there's a, an adage uh, that uh, if you're feeling nervous, then uh, you should imagine the entire audience are in their underwear. Ew! Even Mrs. Franklin? Perhaps not. (laughs) I've never done that. That whole, like, picture the audience naked, picture them in their underwear, I've... I've never done that. I think that's more of a public speaking thing than a performing in a play thing. I mean, it's a total... Yeah, I mean, if if for public speaking it, you know, helps um, break the tension and let you, you know, look down and, and speak your words, that's a totally different... Uh, game than than you know working a character and being vulnerable with the audience like um, I don't know as an actor I always I always feel like I'm letting the audience in rather than um, rather than imagining them I mean the only type of acting work I can uh, see as having anything to do with visualizing anything with the audience uh, some schools of thought are you know putting up a really powerful you know like a fourth wall where you're really just performing to that wall and not uh, not being distracted or have your world that you've shaped broken by outside forces but I that's not my process <laughs> yeah I, I guess the point of that would be to put the audience imagine them in a vulnerable state. So just you don't how feel, vulnerable yeah. you are, just mm-hmm. thinking that they're all human beings. Um, if it works, it works. It's fine. Um, a brain falls on Buffy. She freaks out, goes back to the library. They realize that the demon still needs a brain, and so the demon is still probably one of the students. Uh, and he, the demon needs a brain. He needs the smartest brain, which is probably Giles. So they go back. They, they, here's where, again, I'm going to fact check. They go backstage now all of these people that we saw backstage with cordelia are mm-hmm. in their dressing rooms because now it's giles and mark and mark just says hey can you be my assistant well i tie you to a guillotine and giles is like sure i'll yeah. do that and no one else is backstage no one which from a writer's standpoint everyone else needs to be off stage so this final fight can happen but it's just weird. Where's the stage manager? Where's the crew? That's the only Where's thing the that makes sense is if cast? Giles was standing in for stage management. You know, if, if that... Or did Giles go backstage and just say, everyone lock yourself in the dressing room? But then he knows that one of them is the killer. Like, right. It just... It's just weird it that all of a sudden... A sense, yeah. That they're about to go... The show is about to start, and all of a sudden there's absolutely no cast or crew. Uh, Giles almost gets his head cut off because we realize that, surprise, Mark is the demon. Yeah. Buffy fights Mark. I I made a note about Sarah Michelle Gellar and her uh, stances while fighting, that she actually is a good fighter. Oh, yeah. Uh, She does have a stunt double in the show, but I believe she, in real life, is a brown belt taekwondo. Yeah. 
But you can tell even when it's on her that she knows how to fight. Her yeah, her, her stances are, are great. Her kicks are legitimate. Um, her flexibility throughout the course of the show was fantastic. Um, and you can tell that the, that the uh, fight choreographers that they regularly used, um, you know, took advantage of her natural skill sets. Yeah, so she's very well cast in this role. Uh, they kill the demons. Did Sid stabs him? And then Sid just goes limp, so we can assume that Sid has passed on to his next life, which is basically he died. And then Buffy kind of cradles Sid in her arms, and then the curtain opens. So so someone's pulling the curtain. <laughs> so there is a stagehand who is watching all this demon murder, and it's like, cool, all right. This seems like a great... Instead of going out into the audience and being like, hey... Let's reschedule. <laughs> There's a demon. Or pulling a fire alarm and getting the Everyone audience out. Yeah. out. No, someone thinks it would be a good idea just to pull the curtain and start the show. And everyone looks very confused. I made a note that with the curtain opening and Buffy cradling Sid like a baby... This reminds me of one of the opening scenes of Sunset Boulevard, where Norma Desmond is walking around with a dead with chimpanzee. The monkey, yeah, with the chimpanzee, yeah. And then Principal Snyder just mouths avant-garde. What is it, avant-garde? What is it, avant-garde? <laughs> and that's it. And then over the credits, we finally get a clip of Buffy, Willow, and Xander performing a scene from Oedipus. Ruler of my country, Oedipus, you see our company around the altar, and I, the priest of Zeus. Ha ha. They prophesied that I should kill my father, but he is dead and hidden deep in the soil. But surely I must fear my mother's bed. Oh, Oedipus, Oedipus, unhappy Oedipus, that is all I can call you and all that I ever shall call you. Darkness and horror of darkness, unfolding, restless, visitant, sped by an ill wind in haste. Madness and... Madness and stabbing pain and, and, um, oh, oh, memory of uh, ill deeds I have done. <laughs> yeah, I love, so Willow runs off and Amazing. to Buffy and Xander's credit, they don't break character, even though they're not doing a very good job. They just step together, and they keep. They they, they keep they going. They held the it together. Yeah. I love how not wanting to be there Buffy is in her. <laughs> like she's such a good actor in real life that her she it's can't real, even. Do it's bad really hard to be an actor playing a bad actor. To play an actor yeah. without training, it's very difficult to. Yeah, she's funny yeah, in the scene. She's you can, hilarious. You can tell that Buffy is so like. Oh, I just killed. I just killed a demon. And now I still have to do this shit. Like you can <laughs> see so, it in her so in her face, yeah. And Xander's, uh, despite his lack of control of uh, uh, iambic, um, is uh, pretty good actually. He's not bad. Like he's terrible, but he's not. Like, I will say like, Xander yeah. is the most committed. Uh, agree. Willow is a deer in headlights. Can't hold it together. Buffy, to her credit, has just again helped murder a demon. She would rather be anywhere but here. But Xander's at least trying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, <laughs> all in all, uh, not their best choice for a uh, last-minute entry to the talent show. I wonder show. what should they have done instead if they were going to do like a scene, a rap battle, a rap. Well, okay, that's funny, but like, <laughs> what would have been a better play? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe Principal Snyder picked this for them, or maybe Giles picked it for them. Maybe whoever they were picked just, this like... was pretty cruel. You can see in Giles' face, and like Rupert. Uh, What's his last name? Rupert Giles. Rupert Giles is his last name. So, oh, okay. Um, I, I, I can't remember who. Uh, oh, Anthony uh, Stewart Head. Anthony Stewart Head is the actor. Yeah, he's he's an incredible Shakespeare actor, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. So, like, I don't know. You can imagine him in the, like having so much fun with with this. You know. My my last thought before we wrap up. What happened to Morgan? His body again. Morgan is decapitated. <laughs> his brain is removed, and no one but Buffy. Buffy doesn't even really care that, like, this poor kid, we find out he has brain cancer, 
and now hence all the headaches yeah yeah well yeah that's why he was always grabbing his head but uh, again it's it's sunnydale kids drop dead they they brought out the uh they brought out the uh no looky here uh caution tape again people kind of don't care when emily is stabbed and her heart is removed and people really don't care i care about you morgan you know i'm so sorry we're we're here for you morgan we we're we're pouring out some pouring out some blue moon okay uh, um, we're past the hour mark. Any other final thoughts on this episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer? No, it was fun. I I think this is funny. I could see why Sid was a character that could live on at least in video game form because he leaves an impression. He certainly does. Yeah, and again, this episode kind of comes up sometimes in like Buzzfeed listicles of the worst Buffy episodes oh, really? ever. I don't think it deserves to I, be there. No, I can think I've of definitely way worse episodes off the top of my head. Oh, I can yeah. think of, I mean, this episode's better than all of season seven. Oh, so season those seven are with, strong words. Isn't I mean, that, is that Dark Willow? No, that's season six. Six, okay. Uh, season seven is the all the potential slayers. Oh, I see. Yeah, it gets... from beneath you it devours. And, oh, that, uh, that whole thing. Yeah, it's not good. I, I like this episode. It's 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 not bad. It's not good. And for the purpose of this podcast, it, it was fun to talk about. Agreed. Okay. And if you want to hear us talk about uh, your favorite episode of a show where the characters are in a play, please email those suggestions to us at spiritsandchatpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on social medias, we are on Facebook and also on Instagram. Our artwork is done by Molly Rock, and our theme song is composed and written and sung by Mickey Hommel. If you have time, please, please, please uh, take a couple minutes and rate and review us on whatever platform you are listening to this on. In particular, a five-star rating and or review on iTunes will really help with our visibility on that platform. Yes. Until next time, I am Matt Pullman. And I'm Jonathan Emerson. And remember... Break a leg! leg.